Hey guys, Steve here. You are listening to one of our original 26 episodes. If you've listened to any of our new episodes, you're going to notice that we're sounding a little different in these ones. Yeah, there's a reason for that. There is. They've been remastered. They have been remastered. Because they had a really annoying hum. Yeah, I mean, a huge thanks to uh, listener James for doing almost all of the legwork on this yes. thing. Yeah. You'll also notice if you had listened to what we're calling the Lost 26 episodes before, and you're re-listening now, the music and sound effects are gone. Yes, yeah. we've, we've gone back to straight audio. So, be warned, we sound a little different today than we do in what you're about to listen to. Yeah. Enjoy. Uh-huh. Bye. Okay, bye. Thinking Sideways. I don't understand. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Well, hi there, and welcome to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I'm Joe, joined by... Steve. And... Devin. Hey, so here we are again for another hard-hitting... Yeah, so anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, this is a little bit of an unsolved mystery. There is... Today we're going to talk about the Surcouf. The Surcouf, for those of you who don't know about it, uh, was a French submarine that disappeared supposedly in the Caribbean, although some people argue differently. But the Surcouf was um, a submarine that was built in France in the late 20s, early 30s. No, excuse me. It was built in the late 20s. It was launched in 1929 and commissioned in 1934 into the French Navy. Uh, it was the largest sub ever built at that time. It's uh, about 360 feet. It's about the same length as a Los Angeles class, Los Angeles class nuclear sub today. Um, so, Can you give us a reference that isn't a submarine? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Well, let me think. It's longer than a football field. Okay. Yeah. So big. That's helpful. Yeah. That's it's, actually very helpful. It's very <laughs> big. Very big. I mean, yeah. obviously, we're building much bigger subs these days. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest sub ever built was built by the, the Russians, the, actually the Soviets, the Typhoon. It was a, the sub that was in the Hunt for Red October. Oh, yeah. 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 560 feet long. Wow. Yeah. Gigantic. Yeah, it's, it's enormous. And, and yeah, so that's the biggest one ever. Not the one that jumped. That's not the Red Oct- Hunt for Red October one no, that jumped. Yeah, yeah, that was not, yeah. That was jumped? Not, yeah, that was yeah a, you know, in the Hunt for Red October, they uh, come up for air, and it's like, they jump, oh, and yeah, you yeah. know Reaches. where that sub is. Yeah, yes, yeah, that was, yeah that was a Los Angeles class sub, okay. a lot smaller. So, but, but at that time, it was a big honking sub, and it had to be big because it had to do so much. I mean, it wasn't just doing what ordinary subs do, which is go around and torpedo ships. It also had a big turret on the top of it in front of the conning tower that had two eight-inch guns in it, and so it was like basically kind of like a battleship. In a I was sense. going to say, oh. eight-inch guns, those were destroyers at the time had guns that were almost that size, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and so... So it's, it's like a ship that is also a submarine, mm-hmm. or a submarine that like can glide across the yeah. It's surface? like well, back at, back in those days, really, up until the invention of the snorkel in the forties, most most submarines were really designed and built to run on the surface most of the time mm. and just submerge when controversy occurs. Like say, you know, enemy a aircraft, threat. enemy aircraft shows up and they want to like torpedo you and kill you, and so that's a good time to submerge. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah, okay. but they spent back in those days, they spent most of their time on the surface. So anyway, besides the uh, besides having these big honking guns and a turret in front, they also had a, a hangar aft of the conning tower that contained a float plane. 
mm-hmm. and obviously it was a skinny little hanger, so they had to pull the wings and stuff off of this thing to get it stowed away. I can't imagine what a nuisance that would be. And I imagine, <laughs> it, imagine it's like, okay, guys, get up on deck and pull that thing out and put it together. And yeah, yeah. take it back apart. Didn't yeah. they say, I don't remember how long it took, but they were talking about in the research how long it took for it to dive and how it made it just like obscenely impractical for yeah. like being able to make it get away from anything. Yeah, you want to be able to dive quickly, and it took like over two minutes to dive. Yeah. To, uh, to get to 40 feet. Yeah. To get to just 40 just feet. Just a yeah. tiny little bit. Yeah. And yeah, I was I was trying to do a little research on that because that is a long, that is a, an extended dive period. And I was wondering if perhaps uh, it lacked a negative tank because mm. typically diesel subs that we build, I don't know if it's the same for all countries or not, but we build ours with negative tanks. And a negative tank is a tank that when you surface, normally when you submerge, you blow the negative tank out. But when you surface, you fill it up with water. The idea being is it gives you negative buoyancy. When it's time oh. to flood those tanks, it pulls you under quicker. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so... Once you submerge, then you blow the negative. This thing perhaps lacked a negative tank. I don't know. Mm. Or perhaps it had a really kind of a pathetically small one. No, they were uh, just busy, like, trying to pull things in. And Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I yeah. remember reading about the size when we're talking about how big it is, and maybe mm. this is why it didn't have an adequate tank, is mm-hmm. it had a area to hold 40 prisoners. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's... It had a, a brig? Yes. Yeah, it had a brig. It had its own brig <laughs> yeah. to hold 40 prisoners, oh which is huge on a submarine. Oh, yeah. Def- well, I'm sure they were I'm sure they were stacked in there like cordwood. Oh, but sure. <laughs> yeah, but that's still, that's a but lot still, of space. That is yeah. a lot of space on a submarine, yeah. I'm sure they probably made good use of it for storing food and stuff like that. <laughs> like food and wine. So, these, were, these were French sailors after, after all, yeah. so they had to have a wine cellar. Yeah, wine and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Why, why did it have the airplane again because I remember there was there was some specific reason that there was a plane involved because that's not what you'd normally have in a sub. Uh, you know, actually, back in those days, a lot of subs did carry float planes. It's not, it's, it wasn't that unusual. But wouldn't they just use, you know, radar? Uh, yeah, they didn't have radar back in those days. Oh, so, okay. Oh, and, that's right. And, and, sonar, and sonar was not that well developed either. So, you know, in order to find targets... You know, like, say, ships and stuff like that. They would launch their plane. The plane would go buzz around and, and find something and then come back and re- come back and tell them or radio back. I guess it seems event. like just such a backwards way to, like, be doing all this stuff, right? It's in that in-between period where they're like, okay, we have to be able to do these things, but we don't have the technology. Uh-huh. So I know we'll just strap some guns on it, yeah. strap a plane on it. I know. And I know. Just, we'll just see where it goes. It just seems so like a, like kind of just a bad idea. Uh, yeah. Bad design. Yeah. I can't, I, you know, and I, and I, I would imagine that. In reality, the plane, for example, would probably not be pulled out of the hangar very often. Sure. But can you can you imagine what a what a huge nuisance it would be? And, and you're very vulnerable. I mean, if if, if enemy aircraft do show up mm-hmm. while you're say dismantling the plane, well, you're just going to have to like leave the plane yeah, and dive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah. they they were going to make. I think this was the the first of seven of these that they were planning to make. Is they that were, correct? yeah. The plan was to to build a series of them, but uh, and this was the first one. And they built this thing because the Washington Naval Treaty placed limits on naval construction 
the submarines were omitted from that, so they built this big honking thing, which is basically uh, they called it a they called it a submerged cruiser or something. Oh, okay. Oh, no, excuse me, they called it an underwater cruiser. But it's basically, a yeah, it was a loophole. They were exploiting a loophole. They said, well, if we can build this this thing that's kind of like a frigate or a battleship or something like that, but it's technically a submarine. It's and totally, hey, yeah. that's totally yeah. what it is, right? It's a battleship. It can hardly submerge. It's just like on a technicality, it has mm-hmm. to be able to submerge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and yeah. the flaw, if when I was doing the reading on this, is the flaw is okay. Well, it's gigantic, which is awesome. We've yeah. got these giant subs, the biggest one ever made, mm-hmm. and it's got these massive guns. But because they were on a sub, which doesn't sit that high out of the water, <laughs> yeah. these guns were supposed to be able to shoot. I believe it's fifteen miles. Is uh, how that's an eight-inch gun could shoot. But max range on, the, on these guns was twenty-four miles, but unfortunately, they they were not able to see 24 miles. Right. So they could so, only shoot, I think it was eight or 10 or something. Like yeah. That? It depend. Yeah. They had a, um, they had like a, a, a station where they could sight from the top of the conning tower mm-hmm. and, and that gave them a range of, I believe, uh, eight miles. And then if they used the periscopes, so they could get a little higher up <laughs> and so they could see further away. That gave them a range of, uh, about 10 miles. I okay. like, I like yeah. that they had to use the periscopes. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and then, Above water. But then, in, but in theory, if they wanted to go to max range, they could launch the float plane, and then the and float then plane could actually could actually you know guide them in. Guide them in. You know, but guide them yeah, in. Yeah, it just it was uh, it was again. It's an awkward way to solve the problem. Yeah. Of, well, mm-hmm. we don't have this, so we'll do that, and well, we don't have that, so let's just try this. It just seemed cobbled together. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and this is this is possibly apparently it was. It, it looks to me. I mean, if you look at the thing, if you look at pictures of it, it looks really top heavy yeah, for a submarine. Um, and there were talk. There was talk about it behaving very badly in rough seas, rolling really badly, and that could be one clue to the mystery of the whole thing as as to what happened to it. It's like, and we'll get into the theories about what happened to it. But my, I'm thinking that it's quite possible that they just tried to submerge in rough seas. I was like, you noticed earlier, I had my old submarine manual out. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. flipping through that. Yeah, I wanted to confirm something that I, that I remembered from reading it long, long ago, but apparently. Submersion of a submarine, uh, center of gravity and the center of buoyancy cross one another. So essentially, when you're on the surface, your center of gravity is above the center of buoyancy. And then as you submerge, the center of buoyancy moves up. If you can imagine a line moving vertically through the submarine. Okay. And eventually it winds up, center of buoyancy winds up above the center of gravity. But at that point where the two points meet, the submarine becomes very unstable. Oh, so okay. right, because this, it's just like a roly poly, right? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's not like a surface ship where you know if you if you list to one side, it sets up a riding arm and tends to push you back. Right. It's not like that, and so that's even a possibility that possibly. And, and I'm getting ahead of myself because, you know, but, but what the hell? But, uh, but well, it's it's yeah. it's all in in the size and the the mm-hmm. build of this thing, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I could see I could see the possibility where it's just bad luck. You know, they're they're submerging in rough seas and they hit that point of instability and, and they then get hit uh, by they, a big wave. they get hit by a big wave and and uh, i don't know if you guys looked at any pictures or diagrams of the submarine i looked at some yeah yeah, yeah. 
the eight inch guns are fed by this vertical magazine and the, the ammunition is stored at the lowest deck of the submarine. And so that's, yeah, it's like, uh, and so I, I'm sure that formed part of the ballast of it, putting all that, because you know that, that eight inch ammo has got to weigh a ton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those, are, so, those are big, big shells. Yeah. And so that's kind of my, uh, kind of something I was curious about. It's like, you know, uh, they obviously weren't able to replenish. They were, they were actually out doing stuff, shooting at, shooting at things and stuff like that using up their ammo, and I don't think they had a supply line back to France, which was occupied by the Germans by this time. So what happened down there? Did they did they think to, to put counterbalancing weights down there, or did they have trim tanks that could Oh, flood? so it might not have had the weight that they were expecting to, uh, to yeah. counterbalance. I yeah. got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes okay. total sense. Yeah. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, so we talked about the issues that she had. She rolled She rolled badly in rough seas and took a long time to dive. So back to the history of the ship a little bit. So she served in the French Navy, but the Germans invaded France in May 1940. The Cercouf. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. All of, I think all, you of are. Our, all of our French listeners, write in or call. <laughs> yeah. She was in Brest being refitted, and I don't know where Brest is, but I assume it's on the coast of France. She, uh, and so at that point, she, she left and went to England and stayed there being refitted in Plymouth, England. And then in July, the Brits launched an operation called Operation Catapult. And I'm not going to go into all the specifics of Catapult. It had to do with a lot of French ships being either, uh, either coming over to our side or being scuttled. But in, in the part, the phase of it that affected their circuit is that all French ships that were in port in Britain and also in Canada were boarded by armed Marines. And basically the, the crews were taken off them and most of them were repatriated to France. And then the idea was that these ships and submarines, whatever, were going to be turned over to the free French Navy mm. uh, under, you know, the free French guys, remember Charles de Gaulle and all that stuff. And, yeah. and I'm guessing the idea, however misguided here was that if there's any French who are on the ship who have been turned by the Germans for mm-hmm. whatever reason, mm-hmm. that you get them off so that the ship doesn't become a threat to you while you're, yeah. quote-unquote, using it in your service. Yeah. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the French, uh, so the French, after the Germans took over, the, the, the Vichy government formed, and they were basically kind of, what's what's the word I'm thinking a of? A, a puppet government of the Germans. And so, you know, the question was, these sailors, who where, where did their loyalties lie? And so they just decided to like take them all off ships and you know send them back to France and then uh, and then they turn them over to the free french navy i love so, that that's like you know. one of my favorite stories in history right we couldn't trust some of you so we're going to condemn all of you uh-huh. and just take all your stuff yeah i know bye yeah uh, good luck good yeah, idea I, I yeah, and actually uh and actually, this is kind of sad, but uh, most, almost the entire crew of the Circouf was uh, was sent back to France on a on a hospital ship, mm. which was unfortunately torpedoed and sunk by the Germans. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, and so that oh, caused, that caused that caused a little bit of bitterness. Yeah, between the way French to go. And, yeah, I know. And the other thing that caused a little bitterness is that uh, actually the Circouf saw during during Operation Catapult actually saw a little bit of gunplay. On the sub, and uh, three Brits and one French sailor were killed during the boarding of this, which again caused a little bit of bitterness. Um, in August 1940, they, the Brits completed the refit of the ship and then turned her over to the Free French Navy for a convoy patrol. You know, as you know, there was a lot of convoying going going on between America and Britain and also 
America and Russia. And so, um, you between know, con- the allies, essentially. Yeah, essentially. So convoys, convoy escorts were kind of necessary. There was only one officer who had not been sent back to France. Well, to be torpedoed and killed by the Germans. And that was, uh, Commander Georges Louis Blaison, I think. I don't know. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. It sounds yeah. right. Yeah. So he became the new commanding officer. And then, um, and then a bunch of French sailors for the Free French Navy were put on board her. And she was assigned to convoy patrol. And, uh, but at the same time, there was still a bit of an atmosphere of distrust between the Brits and the French. So, okay, so hang on. Before we go any farther, I have already see a giant issue here, which is she had been running for a year or so with a crew that had learned and knew about the ship, uh-huh. and then they're all jettisoned off of this ship, and an entirely new crew is put on, and yeah. she's put back out to sea. Yeah, I know. That's, that's With a bunch of guys who don't know how exactly to do everything. Especially uh-huh. since she's, like, so problem-ridden, right? I mean, uh-huh. She is prone to toppling. She's got yeah. like all these little yeah, problems. Yeah, submarines are complex machines too, you know. And and, and uh, I'm I'm assuming, you know, that at least a strong percentage of these people had served on submarines before and had some had some clue what they were doing. You got to hope. You got to hope. Yeah, but got, it's again, if this is this is a one of a kind sub, mm-hmm. she was the only one of her design that was ever built, which means that every ship has its own idiosyncrasies. Yeah. You've got to know how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've got guys who, oh, yeah, you got to do this, you got to do that, but suddenly they're all gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't know what to do, so you don't know if you're doing something right or wrong, which can make, you know, for a catastrophic situation. Even in, like, the most perfect submarine. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, and, th- and this one had another problem, too, which was that it was in Britain, and obviously if they needed spare parts, well, you know, I'm sorry, France, they're they're back in France, which is occupied by the Germans. Mm. Right. So, you know, you got to like, uh, you got to, you know, they're not going to obviously set up a whole manufacturing infrastructure uh-huh. to make parts for this thing. For just one sub. Yeah, right. they're not going to so do that. So, we're saying it's even more cobbled together mm. at this point, right? Mm-hmm. All the repairs yeah. that are being done, all the Bailing wire and duct tape. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm sure that there's a lot of pieces and parts that could be could be made made from scratch by a qualified machinist and stuff like that, but it would be time consuming. Yeah. And, also, you know, this is the war. Like, yeah. why? Yeah, I you know, so in a sense, it's kind of, it's kind of like a mystery why they even press this thing in a service. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like an accident waiting to happen. So, but anyway, there was still a, lot of, a little bit of tension there. The they had a new commanding officer and a new crew. There were accusations made that people on the sub were spying for Vichy France. The Brits apparently also claimed that this Surcouf was attacking British ships. Because when you think about it, when you're in a convoy in the North Atlantic, then, you know, and, and the convoys are kind of spread out. And so it would actually not be that tough if you're like one of the, one of the escorts to just go ahead and sink one of these merchant ships. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. could do that. It wouldn't be that tough. You could just sink a merchant ship, you know, and it's like, hey, what happened to him? I don't know. The Germans must have got him. Well, yeah, but I got everybody, everybody on board would have to be on yeah. board with that. Yeah, so the Brits actually, uh, actually as part of this, they, they stationed a British officer and two sailors on board, uh, supposedly to be liaisons, but uh, more likely just to keep an eye on them and make sure that uh, nothing like this happened. So anyways, the, the Sir Coop, uh, went to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and basically escorted transatlantic convoys until 1941 when she was damaged by a German plane and then went to the U.S. Naval Shipyard at Portsmouth, New Hampshire for a refit and then went to New London, Connecticut uh, and then went back to Halifax. Meanwhile, what happened is Pearl Harbor 
Oh yeah. 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 yeah Pearl Harbor. So, uh, they decided to send the Surcouf to the Pacific Theater. And so she was given orders to sail to Sydney, Australia, via Bermuda and Tahiti and the Panama Canal and all that stuff. So she was going to have a neat little tour. And I, I could just imagine that, you know, I, I, I've read conflicting stuff according to some accounts that I've read about this. At the time that she set out to make this voyage, she only had one functioning engine. What? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I can't believe that. I cannot believe they would have put her to sea for that, a voyage like that with one function. That's engine. a so long, I'm, long trip. So yeah. I am taking that with a grain of salt. Uh, Although I guess it wouldn't be so surprising given that, you know, nobody really could get their hands on the correct parts. Uh, yeah, that's right. a good point. I mean, it's like, yeah, and, uh, but it's, it seems to me rather dangerous to send, to send a ship to sea with only one functioning mm-hmm. engine. Yeah, although I guess you say, you know, you kind of hedge your bets at that point, right? You say, well, you've only got one functioning engine, but it would take us like five years to actually get the parts we need and every fabricate or whatever, you know, or uh-huh. a year, you know, yeah. fine. Yeah. But, you know, there's what? 400 fairly disposable dudes on this ship. <laughs> it wasn't and the four. ship is also like pretty disposable. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, mean, what either the hell? They, yeah. you know, either they make it and they're helpful or they don't, uh-huh. but we tried. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 know. I really think the, the proper course of action for this ship would have been to like run it, not too, not too far distances for very long until that second engine craps out and then just scrap it and use that steel to build, you know, other stuff on the mm-hmm. battleships or something like that. Or just scrap it. Yeah, that would have been that too. Yeah, it, that just doesn't make any sense. It, it would be as if I were going to take a, a, you know, a road trip in my car, but I've only got first and second gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's essentially it. Yeah, oh, well, I'm going to drive a thousand miles, but it's going to take me weeks because my max speed is you know 20 miles an hour. It's just it's foolish. Yeah, yeah nobody it is. Would do, nobody in good conscience would do that. Yeah, it is. I, you know, and and you know, frankly, this thing was designed with an inadequate inadequate number of engines anyway. Um, and that probably gets back to things like you know if you're going to have a big a big turret and a float plane and a big brig that holds 40 prisoners, well, you gotta you gotta make up that space somehow. Somewhere. Well, but uh, the the fleet submarines that the U.S. built in World War II had four diesel engines in them, mm-hmm. and you know the uh, you guys have seen the Blueback. Mm-hmm. You know the Blueback here has, in Portland. Yeah, the Blueback has got three diesel engines in it. You know, and I and saw it's not even how big is. I mean, and it's the Blueback is two hundred nineteen feet long. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it seems to me that three is the minimum, uh-huh. you know, really. You know. For something that size, yeah, I absolutely four is probably needed. Yeah, I, I, I got a chance to take a tour of a Russian Foxtrot submarine, and that's that's a pretty small, dinky sub compared to compared to this thing. And that had three diesels mm-hmm. on it. I mean, it's like, you know, three is a minimum. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, but, you know, design constraints are, you know, submarines are, there's a huge design constraint, which is that total volume equals total displacement, which is yeah. not the same as for, for surface ships where displacement displacement is smaller than the actual volume of the ship. Mm-hmm. And so there's only so much space on that thing. So I assumed to like do things like put a brig in, you had to cut out a diesel engine or two. Or, you know, the, uh, what is it, the null tank or the... The, the, the negative tank. Yeah, the negative yeah, tank. The negative tank. I like the, yeah, tank. the null tank. Yeah, I like the null tank. Yeah, who knows? Maybe there is a null tank. <laughs> you would, you know, if you Maybe look, that's where it went. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the tanking diagram of a submarine, you'd be amazed at how many tanks there are on, the, on, a, on a typical submarine. Uh, so where were we? Oh, yeah. So, so anyway, so they decide... Uh, to send Sarkouf to the Pacific Theater. 
So she she left and went to Bermuda where she resupplied and then headed south from there to go to the go through the Panama Canal, mm-hmm. I guess southwest technically. Like you do. Yeah, like like yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. And headed southwest. The plan was to go through the Panama Canal, stop off at Tahiti for a little resupply, and then on to Sydney. Uh so she never made it to the Panama Canal. She disappeared somewhere between Bermuda and the Panama Canal. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And so the question is, what happened to her? Where'd she go? Here's the unsolved mystery part of things. Yeah. Oh, we've got so, to it. Yeah, finally. <laughs> finally. Yeah, I know. Not, why would they send a ship like this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is a valid question on its own, <laughs> but... Uh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, there, there were questions about her loyalty, and according to the U.S. Navy, she was done in by an accident. An yeah. accident? An accident, Okay, yes. so, uh, and, and, and again, this is this is my own fault, but when I read this theory, I could never quite understand exactly how this would have gone down. I don't understand uh-huh. what you didn't understand about it. Well, yeah. it, it just seems that if this is such a massive ship, I mean, uh-huh. well, okay, before we're getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what is what is the theory or give us the details on this particular one? Well, what the, what the U.S. Navy said is that uh, the, there's a, an American freighter named the Thompson Likes uh, was was steaming in that area, in the same area that the, the, the thing that our sub was in, and reported hitting and running down a partially submerged object. And her lookouts supposedly heard people in the water, but they went on without without stopping because they were assuming it was a U-boat, a German mm-hmm. U-boat. Uh, although apparently they said they had heard people yelling out in English. So, although, although uh, there were only, there's problem. Yeah, okay. there were only three people on the boat who spoke English. So, I mean, I, I mean, some of the French did, but you know, you'd think they would be like yelling in French, but you know, it's, it's hard to say. It was supposedly a very, very dark night. Uh, and they just heard, really kind of more heard and felt rather than saw. There was, I, I found a thing on the, on the interwebs, some guy who claimed that his grandfather was on the Thompson Likes. And said that he was, he was, he remembered the incident very clearly and he said it was the biggest submarine he'd ever seen. Uh, although I, I'm questioning that because it's like, I, it's like, I, I thought it was a dark moonless night and nobody could see anything. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. I guess my, my question about that is like, I, okay, so you assume it's a German U boat and like whatever. Like humanitarian problems without a side. Yeah, right? we're gonna ignore like, that. Yeah. Fine, but the, you have lights on your ship. You have you just have you have lights on your ship on the deck of your ship, uh-huh. and maybe you just like shine one down there, uh-huh. just like hey, what was that? Okay, it was. Let's keep going. Well, or oh no, that was something much bigger, and we should probably stop and try and help these people. Yeah, that's or the whole oh, thing. we just hit a whale. Uh-huh. Like you know, whatever the possibility, you take one light. One lookout person takes one light, turns the switch on. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it takes one light it. to get spotted by the enemy and be shot. I oh, this guess. is true. This is true. Although if you if you believe that you've just run over a U-boat, then you've just run over pretty much all of the enemy that's in the area probably. So for, true. For, uh, for so they're trying, they're so, drowning. You yeah. can just watch them drown for a second. Yeah. I mean, it might be. It, it could be that if you, you know, obviously from a humanitarian standpoint, because you could have just run over somebody's yacht or something like that. Uh-huh. It's hard to say, but. Cruise ship, a small cruise ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but of course, 
you know, of course, if, if, if you really think that it's a U-boat, well, the U-boat, and if the U-boat doesn't sink, the, the U-boat might sink you. So maybe you want to beat feet out of there, too. I mean, maybe that's why they did it. I guess. I or mean, you check to make sure that it's actually sinking. And if it's not, while they're, like, in panic mode, you shoot your one round into them, and then they actually are sinking. Well, you could do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess that just in my mind, again, I understand I'm not a soldier in the war or anything like that. But you shine a light. I would think you would. Now, you'd want to know exactly what you you know yeah. what you ran over. I would think so. But they didn't, and it's kind of surprising because, and I, and I know it's wartime, but you know, a lot of the sea and all that, you're supposed to stop and help people, mm-hmm. and especially then they report that they hear people calling out in English. Yeah. You know, you'd think that if they actually heard somebody calling out in English, but they, they really didn't stop. want to stop, then they would just keep quiet about it. Mm-hmm. So here's you know. here's the thing: is when what I didn't understand, and and this gets back to my initial question is. What I didn't get is if the Surkouf is so large and uh-huh. such a mammoth ship, mm-hmm. yeah. I would think that hitting it uh-huh. would cause excessive amounts of damage uh-huh. to a, a topside boat. Yeah, it, it, you, it, I would think that that would just mangle the holy crap out of the hull to the point that that ship would go down as well because it's it's uh-huh. just such a big chunk of metal in the water. I guess it could be a glancing blow, but yeah. Yeah. a glancing yeah. blow wouldn't sink the sub. No, but a glancing blow could tilt it off of its axis. Could knock I mean, it like, over, right? yeah. Could. It could knock it over and it's open. Everybody's True. like up there doing stuff or whatever and uh-huh. it tips over. Well, they said it was partially sinks. submerged. They say they yeah, partially submerged object. It, it I would say have. that the probably even when it's topside, it's partially submerged, right? Well, I mean, it's always any boat's partially submerged, okay. always. But well. it's like you know, I mean, yeah, they could have been diving, for example, yeah. or they could have been surfacing, and then and so this thing just sort of scrapes along the top of it. But the thing is, if it did that sort of glancing blow scraping thing, it's not going to probably damage the sub enough to sink it. That's true. Yeah. See, it's, to me, and this this is where this gets back to where I had issues with it. Mm-hmm. If you think about the two moving perpendicular to each other, and they hit it basically a 90-degree angle, mm-hmm. that's, it, and it causes enough damage to sink the sub, that to me means it causes enough damage to the ship to potentially sink it as well. That's fair. If it's yeah. a glancing blow, you know, so they're almost parallel to each other, well, then they bounce off of each other, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. that doesn't seem like that would be enough force to sink the sub. Yeah, so that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's what I didn't get about this whole we ran them over theory. That's fair. Yeah, that's totally Yeah, apparently, well, they did hear scraping along their keel, so that, which again, to me, kind of reinforces the, the idea that perhaps they were submerging. Mm-hmm. And so if they were, like, kind of submerging, Merging already, and they got run over, and then you know that would that would cause a lot of scraping sounds and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And there was damage apparently to the likes bow. Oh, I, was I, there? I, I see, looked around. I didn't, I didn't see that when I did. It wasn't. I, was I mean, it was obviously it wasn't enough damage to stop them. No, mm-hmm. no, no. It didn't. But uh, according to the one account that I was talking about, the the guy with the grandfather mm-hmm. who was right. on the ship, he said that they were actually taken on water. Oh, okay. After the incident. Okay, so, well then so. that adds validity to to the theory for me because yeah. I, I didn't I didn't ever see that before. I yeah. also guess you can take on some water as a ship. Yeah, you still got you, you got pumps and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. You've got pumps, or you know, you section off that yeah, you shut a door. section and you shut your fire door, and everything's fine mm-hmm. for, for you know the yeah. twenty minutes that it takes you. Or yeah, I mean, yeah, even so. if it's two days, it's yeah. a it's a sealed compartment. Yeah, yeah. you're you're gonna lisp mm-hmm. badly, but, but yeah, okay. yeah. So it wasn't right. yeah. 
Yeah, they, they were taking on water, but it wasn't catastrophic. Okay, uh, so I, I, I that that solves that for me, and I can okay. I can run with that a little more now. That thank yeah. you for clearing that up. Yeah, that was, I I never followed. You're welcome. That. It was Steve. very weird. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, what would I do? I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But um, you know, the question is, I mean, to you know, a submarine has two holes. It's got the pressure hole on the inside, and then it's got the outer hole that you actually see. The pressure hole is built very stoutly to withstand tremendous amounts of water pressure. Probably the pressure hole didn't get breached. Probably maybe uh, one or two ballast tanks got breached. Mm -hmm. So even if they weren't sunk, they were kind of screwed because, like, say, for example, if your forward ballast tanks can no longer hold air because they've been breached, then if you try to surface, well, you're going to be sort of ass up in the air. Mm -hmm. You can still still escape and everything like that. You can still escape the sub and you can still make the surface. But you really can't operate in that kind of in that kind of condition. So one theory that's out there is that they were actually done in by kind of a one-two punch. Is that mm. they were hit by the likes and they were damaged enough that they were kind of dead in the water. And that was on the night of February 18th, by the way. So they're dead in the water. 1941. The next, uh, I believe that was 1941. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. The next day, uh, some, some according to the records of the Sixth Heavy Bomber Group, they they were operating out of Panama. They claim to have sank a large submarine north of Columbus. That's um, that's actually Cristobal Colon, Panama. Mm. They claim to have sank a large submarine. Two A-17s and one B-18 aircraft dropped bombs on this vessel. And so it was quite possibly the Sukhuv. What? Really a bad luck vessel when you think about it, you know, because if this happened, they get run over, they're dead in the water, they're trying to figure out what to do, and then here come some planes and just bomb the crap out of them. Are there, so then I guess by that theory, their communications are down too? Uh, Yeah, probably. They must have been? Yeah, they must have been. I don't know. Because you don't, I mean, it's not, it doesn't happen so often that you bomb your own thing, right? I mean, like. Well, your radio antennas and towers are all on the top, so if something something, runs you over, it's probably to snap That's off. Fair. Yeah, yeah, it could be that the, the likes took off their radio stuff, you know, and they weren't they were and they were unable to communicate. The thing that I find inexplicable about this is that they they found this submarine, they sank it. But generally speaking in, in the navy, they have like these cards that they give you that have like silhouettes of of various craft, various ships and submarines. What and to look else. for, what to mm-hmm. hit, what yeah, not to hit. Exactly, exactly. They have all these, you know, these these they have these things that you can look at that'll tell you, hey, okay, this is a U boat. Hey, this is one of ours. And then uh the Circoop was uh one of a kind. One, kind of one of a kind, but they sh- it should have been, there should have been some sort of a reference to it. Mm-hmm. Certainly if they looked at their, if they looked at their reference cards and said, well, U-boat, 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 there's nothing like it. Uh, maybe the Surcouf being a one of a kind, maybe they just never got around to putting it on the identification cards. I, that, you know, you know? I can totally see it not being put in the, if it's yeah. one of a kind, why am I going to spend all this time yeah. adding it to all these manuals for these guys? And these guys yeah. going, well, the Germans have been doing all this other crazy stuff. This must be one of their new subs that we've been hearing about. Uh-huh. I can just see uh, you know, a bunch of 18-year-old guys in an airplane going, I don't know what it is. Oh, I'll, I'll bet you. I'll bet you I know what it is and just going crazy and yeah, that's you know, dropping a ton of bombs on yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I don't see it as it doesn't look like a friendly one, so let's go ahead and kill it. And well, I've it. never seen anything like that. Have you? Nope. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. And, you know, and then you hail it, right? Or what? I don't know what. That was the Yeah, hail it. You hail it and uh-huh. there's no response and you go, all right, great. Yeah. Right? It doesn't look like ours. Yep. It's not responding to our radio. Well, let's go ahead and bomb the crap out of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. There are other theories, too. Uh, well, wait. I guess the the next question of that is that is the place where the ship 
reported hitting something close to where the bombers reported bombing something. Uh, yeah, it is. And so, they're close enough that it could conceivably be the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are. So in they the same were, vicinity. They, yeah, they're close. I did find one guy, uh, one guy on, on the web who claimed that the Sirkuf could not have been in that place because if it was only running on one engine, it couldn't have, it couldn't have actually gotten that far from Bermuda. <laughs> but I actually, I actually did a calculation and I figured out it, it probably could have. That's fair. Yeah, probably good. Yeah, math doesn't lie. Math that, doesn't lie. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, so no. That's for yeah. another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, where they were sunk, supposedly, is about 2,800 kilometers from Bermuda. They have six so, days to get there. Okay, but so, well, we've never found it, right? We've never found the wreckage? Well, according to, uh, they, it's to be believed, they know the, they know pretty precisely where it's at. They know mm-hmm. the latitude and the longitude of where the wreck is at. It's in, it's in almost 10,000 feet of water. Oh. And so that probably explains why nobody's ever actually gone I down to find it. I guess that's a it. problem. Yeah, it kind of is. It would be actually interesting to, I wish somebody would go down, like, well, we need to write, write to uh, Robert Ballard and, and well, say, dude. Didn't, didn't Jack Stowe say, yeah, yeah, back in the 70s, he was saying he was going to go look for it and try and find it? There was some rumor about that, but I don't believe he ever did. Well, no, yeah. he never did, but yeah. I, I came across the cows that said that Cousteau was saying he was going to go look for the Sirkuv, uh-huh. and he made all this public hoo-ha about it, and then the stories kind of followed that he got hushed up and basically told, no, don't look for that. Mm-hmm. It would be in your better interest just not to look for that sub. I yeah. Well, so we need to call up James Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robert Ballard is... Uh, Robert Ballard is the guy who took him down to the Titanic. We need that's the guy we need to call yeah, up. Yeah, but we should just call James Cameron. We should call him because actually he might think that we're so awesome he wants to put us in a movie. No. I know. Anyway, no. let's move yeah. forward, please. Yeah. Um yeah, so anyway, um there you know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding this. One is that uh it claims that the Brits didn't Trust the Sirkuf. They thought that the Sirkuf was con- cooperating with the Vichy French and actually sinking Allied shipping. And so, uh, this one of these series is that they deliberately sank it using using whatever you know aircraft and whatever. They just went out and found it and sank it. Mm-hmm. Another one is that when it was in in port in Bermuda, uh, British divers swam out and, and attached limpet mines to it. Which were time to go off several days after. And What's a limpet mine? Uh, yeah, a limpet mine is a is a is a mine that's attached to a ship's hull by magnets. Oh, and it's uh, called a limpet because it's got a similar to a limpet, which is a sea snail that, oh. cling, that clings to rocks and other hard oh, surfaces. Okay, okay, so well that makes sense. So, so basically, what what this theory <laughs> is saying then is that they just stuck a bunch of magnets with explosives on it and set uh-huh. a couple of day timer? Yeah, yeah, that's one possibility. Okay. So it's like being James Bond. Yes, yes. very James Bond. Yes, Bond, James Got Bond, it. yeah. And of course, there's another theory that uh, she was swallowed by the Bermuda Triangle, uh. which of course is, po- is possible. It's a lot more plausible to believe that, you know, leaving aside limpet mines, that she just uh, suffered some sort of catastrophic failure. Because the submarine has a lot of, a lot of hole openings, you know, that, uh, where you have water that, you know, you, you water coming in and out of yeah, the submarine. Yeah, you're venting and pulling in and, you the know, sea it's, constantly. It's, yeah, and it's entirely possible that if connection fails, and it's believable with this boat, this boat was, um, more than 10 years old, and it had been, by this time, 1941. 
it had been well over a year before she'd had any spare parts available. It was possible that a sea fitting just failed and started letting a lot large amounts of water in. Uh, another one, another, another claim, another story is that she was caught in Long Island Sound refueling a German U-boat. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this one, this one. I was going to say that if wow. you're if you're, uh, if you're going to refuel a German U-boat on the sly, it seems to me like doing it in Long Island Sound is kind of a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. What is the, the the story or the anecdotal evidence behind this? In other words, I know this came, this theory comes from some stories of something being sunk in the, the Long Island Sound, uh-huh. but I, I never could figure out how somebody tied it to being the yeah, I don't know either. I mean, there might there might very well be a U-boat wreck in the sound. I mean, U-boats were all over the place. I True. guess my big question about that is, like, she's running on one engine. I know. She's got, like, no extra room in her entire body, right? Why is she refueling uh-huh. other things? Well, there is there is a good that is a good point. It's I like, mean, you know, really? she did. I mean, she did. This boat actually did carry uh, quite a lot of fuel for a submarine, which she obviously needed for herself. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you know? And so there's another another story is that she was loaded up with French gold. Mm. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, uh, okay, yeah. flesh that out for yeah. me because I didn't see that one. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So another another story, and again, I don't place any any value on this at all. Is that uh, a lot of gold from the French Treasury was actually put in their cargo compartment? You know that big space that was built to house forty prisoners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a nice big space. You could stack a lot of gold bars in there. Oh, those are great ballast. Yeah, I know that, that's nice and low down there, and that would, that would definitely keep you from tipping over. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, you know, but it's like like many of these stories about lost ships. Somehow gold winds up getting interjected quite often. I was going to say this is just like the Houring Medan and Yamashita's gold that yeah. we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. What? How did? Uh, oh, okay. Well, this one got. It seems yeah. like it's. Uh, what was the phrase we used? Shoehorned in. Yeah. yeah, probably. Probably. Oh, I guess you know. What about slavery? Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I 40, mean, a forty-person hull. Uh, Forty. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason they 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 might have been running slaves from Africa to the New World. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a little late for that, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So uh, there was a Jacques Cousteau, uh, the Jacques Cousteau thing. Uh, so it is claimed that Jacques Cousteau actually did find it and go aboard and grab the gold, and that's why he shut up about it later. But again, that's that's not exactly believable. Um, <laughs> and then there was a diver named Lee Prettyman who reported he claimed to have found it in the 1960s, uh, and uh, and there was a newspaper article published about it, but he was actually forced to retract his story later on, so apparently he didn't Because he couldn't it. provide any proof, I'm uh, guessing. Apparently not, yeah. And so most of these theories are really fairly weak. The, the The strongest theory is that the sixth heavy bomber group, the one that I, met, the one that I mentioned earlier, operating out of Panama, uh, their records do show them sinking a large submarine on the morning of, the, of February 19th. Hmm. But they never uh, they never classified the kind of sub that they say. They, they just said we, it was a big sub. We said they said it was a big sub. And so uh, that seems it seems to me that you know quite possibly they were just done in by the deal the old one two punch you know they get hit by a freighter and then the next morning they're trying to figure out what to do and limping towards shore and then here come these airplanes and boom 
poor guys. I feel bad for them. I mean, really. well, yeah, you know, it's like uh, dying yeah. in a sub would not, not be, be a fun. nice way to go. No, no. no. I mean, no. there's worse. Either ways. you drown or you suffocate or you starve. I mean, like there, yeah. there, there are death, no yeah. good possibilities for yeah. dying in yeah. a sub. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it would be you know, really it's a terrible way to go, regardless of what happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. or you manage to somehow get to the lifeboat, get overboard, get to the lifeboat, and then you later on you're eaten by sharks or you drift until you starve to death. I mean, yeah, there's all, all kinds of bad possibilities here. Yeah. You're picked up by a U-boat and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, no Anything good. could happen here. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, sad, sad story. And, it, you know, it, it, it is quite possible that they were done in by tre- by British treachery. The Brits, maybe for whatever reason, did decide to put a mine in their hull, but there's really no evidence for it. Yeah. So which it, one? You, so you think it was? So you personally, Joe, lean towards more of the one-two punch approach? Yeah, or possibly even just the one-punch approach. I mean, there's no there's no real proof that the Thomas Likes actually hit this hit the Sirhoof. There mm-hmm. could have been other things that they hit. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff, even leaving aside ships and submarines. There's all kinds of stuff floating around in the ocean. Oh yeah, like you remember after the after the tsunami in Japan mm-hmm. a few years back. Then like like one day somebody somebody go on the Oregon coast goes out and looks, and there is this big floating dock. Yeah. That washed yeah. up on shore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, there's stuff like that all over the place in the ocean. Yeah. I mean, they didn't obviously have containers back then. They don't have containers and container ships back then. But these days, you know, container ships lose containers over the side all the time. There's containers out there floating around. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, even back in those days in World War II, there's all kinds of stuff floating around in the ocean that you can run into. Yeah. yeah. So it may have been the one-two punch or it may have just been that the Thomas Likes hit something else entirely and then... These guys showed up on February 19th in the early morning and sank the Sirhoof. Personally, I, I right. based on the history of this this vessel, I I have a feeling that it to me it's more of a, the mechanical issues. Yeah, she had some kind of failure be, mm-hmm. because yeah. when, I mean all this reading about you know we couldn't get parts for her and all this stuff it just seems to me that something she basically sprang a leak and went down because yeah. things just stopped working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems the simplest again it's Occam's razor, but it's the simplest answer That's, and to uh, me more plausible. Submarines. Uh, Again, they operate in a very hostile environment, and they are very complex machines. There's a lot of points of failure, and yeah, they they can easily be done in by just a mechanical failure. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I you know when I was working on cruise ships, which is not comparable to a submarine really, but a little bit it is that we had a ship in our fleet that like had to go in for repairs like four times or something like that. And there was one time where they like took it out for repairs and like the front sea door just fell off. The, the what? The front sea door. So it was like where they would load all the like cargo or whatever. In. Uh-huh. So it was usually like above water uh-huh. and then they would drop it down into the water and uh-huh. it just fell off. Plonk. Like it was underwater, <laughs> it just fell off one day. Like it happens all the time. You know, somebody doesn't solder something on quite right. You yeah, know, you're out. Welds, loose you know, bolts. It's been, you know, what, 20, 30 years since they even had parts that were actually made for them. You know, they've been just cobbling repairs together. Was 10 years. 10 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years. 10 total, years. Yeah. But yeah. 10 years is a long That's time That's a long still. time yeah. when yeah. you're in service and constantly and guys yeah. are working on it. Uh-huh. And I mean, uh, you know, yeah. metric versus standard. Yeah. It's easy uh, to get everybody confused. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess I agree with Steve. Yeah. I think mechanic, some kind of mechanical failure or a bombing. I don't think, yeah. It could have been the bombing. It could have been. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't aliens, but maybe. You don't think so? 
It might have been. Really? Yeah, okay, you think it might? Okay, well, that's good enough. I'm willing okay. to allow like a 20% possibility. <laughs> okay, all right. On this one, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, um, it's too bad for the Sirkouf. Uh, I think we solved this mystery pretty conclusively, and we think that maybe it was aliens. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 20% aliens. 20% aliens, 20% bombing from the air, and 60% just mechanical failure. Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Okay. The Sirkouf. Now, and so now you're all experts on the Sirkouf. All right, so if you want to see uh, pictures of the Sukhuf, I've actually I've actually found a cool picture of a cross section of a model of the Sukhuf, and so you can look at that and get an idea of the complexity of this beast. And also, if you want to see links to other sites, uh, we, they will be on our website, which is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. And if you'd like to, if you were actually on the Sukhuf and you somehow miraculously survived, or if you were on the Thomas Likes. And you want to like like weigh in a little bit here and tell us what happened that night, that fateful night? Uh, yeah, you might want to send us an email, which is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail dot com. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're downloading an episode through iTunes, please stop, give us a rating, give us a review if you possibly can. We really appreciate it. Let's wrap this up. Another mystery solved here on Thinking Sideways. That's it. Goodbye. Talk to you guys soon. It was aliens, I'm pretty sure. Like 90% sure. Nah. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I'll go with that.